Thanks, guys. If you have a Bible with you, um, you can turn to page 808 in that blue Bible in front of you, or uh, if you have your own or your phone. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 2 this morning, verses 13 to 23. So Matthew 2, verses 13 to 23, just in context, Jesus was born and uh, In Matthew's gospel right before this, the Magi have come to visit him and give their gifts and fall down and worship. And in chapter 2, verse 13, we read this from God's good and kind word, which stands over your heart and my heart this morning. It says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up. He took the child and his mother, went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless his word in our time. Father, out of your kindness, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you, we pray, for Christ's sake and our benefit. Amen. How safe... Is the baby Jesus. And rolling out of that, how safe is God's salvation plan that He has instituted through the life of Jesus? And rolling out of that, the question has to be asked How safe are God's people? Just seven days ago, we celebrated the birth of Jesus and Christmas and all the world said things like this, that because of the birth of this child, there is peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And if you were here last week, Brandon Edgar quoted numerous times that verse that's printed in the front of your bulletin, that because of the birth of Jesus, that there is a light that has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not and will not overcome it. How's that working out? From the text this morning, you see 
that immediately, one page in the Scriptures, and not far after the birth of Jesus, there is a real threat against the life of the Son of God and God's larger plan of salvation for His people. And you could read this simply as the geopolitical little thing that's done right here in the Bible about Herod and a child. But the only way to understand this text is to overlay it across the larger theological arc of Scripture. Which tells us that from the very beginning back in Genesis 3, that because of the fall of human beings and the reality of sin and evil in the world, there would be a divide. And Genesis 3 says that there is going to be murderous intent that exists between the woman, Eve, and her child, and her offspring and his, which is speaking about Jesus. And Christians actually believe that there is a spiritual force, a spiritual being known as Satan that is at war against God and all of his good intentions to do good to this world and people. And you have to overlay that on this text. How safe is God's son and God's salvation plan? In a few minutes, I want you to see this morning that there is divine protection that gives both protection to the weak son of man that is born an infant in desperate circumstances and ultimately to God's plan of salvation, which means ultimately for you if this morning you sit here and find your refuge in Jesus. It is about divine protection. That is our hope. And just for the sake of our time, I need to do two quick kind of words of helping us into this text. The first is you have to notice that there is a prominence of dreams and angelic visitation in this text. Right before and in the thing that we read, three times you hear that Joseph was warmed in a dream and two of those times an angel appeared. In the Old Testament into the New, there are angelic visitations by angels to actually speak God's word to his people and reveal his plans. Now, as a good Presbyterian minister, I believe that all things that are necessary or faith in life are now given to us in the scriptures. There's not a need for angelic visitations or dreams, but that is how God works. And the starkness of that reality in this text makes you stand up and realize that God is utilizing his voice and his effort to protect his son. The second thing that you notice is the words that were repeated again and again is that's the prominence of prophecy in these sections. Twice, there are actual Old Testament literal scriptures that are preached, one from Hosea and one from Jeremiah. The third one is actually not an Old Testament reference, but I'll come back to that. What you need to know as we talk about this question of is Jesus and are his people safe is the context in which those prophecies were given. Hang with me. Both of those prophetic voices in their original place in the Old Testament were given to God's people when they were in exile, under God's hand of judgment for their disobedience, suffering and languishing. And both of those prophetic voices are given in the context of the voice of restoration and hope and the love of God acting for his people. I'm going to come back to that. Okay. So, with those things in mind... Let me repeat. Let's go quickly back through these episodes and retell the story with the original question in mind. How safe are God's people? How safe is Jesus? 
First you saw the flight to Egypt. It says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, he says, get up and take the child and his mother and flee away to Egypt. And the way that this text is written, in any of the texts that were written around that time, children would not have been mentioned. And if they were mentioned at all, they would have been mentioned second in the text. But you notice God's priority to protect Christ in this. Again and again it says, get up, take the child and his mother, okay, and flee to Egypt. And the thing that is said is that the the prophecy of Hosea is fulfilled in this. Out of Egypt I called my son. Why is that important? Because when Hosea spoke that word, his people in the 700s were in danger and exile and loss and dying. And Hosea speaks that prophecy as a word of hope, reminding the people looking backwards to what God did in the exit event, bringing Israel out through the work of Moses. But Matthew says that that prophecy is actually really fulfilled in what Jesus is doing. Isn't it crazy? The place that was the marker place of unsafety and death and sorrow for the people of God in the Old Testament will become the place that God sends his son in order to hide him away in safety. That the scriptures might be fulfilled. That out of Egypt, God will call Jesus the son when the time is right. Do you get it? The place that was the absolute place of unsafety for the people of God now becomes the place where God hides the infant away to keep him safe. What irony in the scriptures. You see divine protection that God sends Jesus away 90 miles from where he's born into a jurisdiction that actually Herod the king has no authority over. It's partly why he is safe there. The scriptures are forgiven. God provides divine protection for Jesus by sending him to this place where he cannot be reached. But you cannot hear that passage without hearing what comes next. And it is intentionally written here so that you see the absolute stark contrast and the reality of the threat that was placed upon Christ and God's salvation plan. Because though Jesus is tucked away safely in Egypt, there is murder and butchery in Bethlehem. Herod is not concerned with the larger significant plan of God as he's promised in the scriptures, but he is concerned with his own little kingdom. And Herod is a complicated king. He was known as the king of the Jews because his rule and reign was in Galilee. He reigned for almost 40 years. He was actually a pretty efficient ruler. He was able to keep peace in a land that was ruled by Rome with the Jews that hated him He built great building projects. He was actually the one that oversaw the rebuilding of the temple. He actually did a lot of good things, and yet he was a ruthless, insecure man who ruthlessly eliminated any threat that he saw to his throne. As a matter of fact, two weeks before Herod died, he had two of his sons murdered and a wife who was an Israelite by birth. And the text says that when Joseph and his mother would gone, Herod was absolutely enraged, literally overwhelmed with anger. 
And his intention is to make sure that the Christ child is killed. Because in Herod's mind, there is someone who might take his kingship away from him. But the larger context of the spiritual warfare that exists is the lens through which you have to read it. Jesus probably would have been 6 to 18 months old at this time when this was given. Out of God's kindness, Mary is well enough to make the 90-mile trip. And Herod to make sure that no threat to his kingdom comes, says and gives the order and carries out the order that every male child under the age of two is to be killed in Bethlehem and its vicinity. Now, Bethlehem's a small town at that point, probably under 1,000 people. Historians probably say that somewhere between 12 and 30 infants were taken from the arms of their mothers and their homes And murdered in front of them. And the text says, as it quotes Jeremiah, that a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, that Rachel is weeping for her children, and she refuses to be comforted because they are no more. That Old Testament text, again, is written to a people in exile, actually about the people who stayed behind in Israel. And I'll be very brief. Ramah is the land of Bethlehem, and Rachel was buried there. And the Old Testament text is saying that this is really fulfilled in this moment. Rachel is the personification of all the people in that Old Testament text who were weeping over the loss and death of their people because of their exile in life. But the prophet says its fulfillment is found in this. Do you hear the contrast? There are mothers who have lost their babies because of the brutal, murderous intent of Herod. There is no comforting the mothers, none, because their children are no more. But God's divine protection over Jesus is that though there is murder in Bethlehem, the Savior is safe in Egypt. Now, you may be here this morning, and you may be saying, I don't know what I think about Christianity, and it may not be whether or not the truthfulness of Christianity is my biggest issue or stumbling block. It may be the goodness of God that is my stumbling block to faith. And I would say that's a fair question. How does a good God allow the butchery and murder of small children? That is fair. But you have to ask that question and let the Bible speak in its larger arc for what it is. And I want you to hold that tension in place. But the readers and you and I today are really supposed to see there is a plot afoot against Christ and against God's goodness and against His salvation plan. And the question comes up, how safe are God's people. Which leads you to the last little thing. Because in the continued drama, in verses 16 through 18, you read, and it's such understatement. Herod, in all his anger and all his rage, is raising against the children and raising against the Christ child, and he's going to have them all killed, and he sends out troops and they murder, and there is all of this bloodshed, and all you hear from the biblical text 
is this. When Herod died. If you were the Christian author of the text, I'm so thankful for the inspiration of the Scriptures because human beings would gloat and make much of it, but it's just stated when Herod died. All the plans and all the raging and all the intention that Satan and the devil and the world pitted against God and his Christ child and his plan of salvation will come to nothing in the end. And it says again that Jesus was visited by an that Joseph was visited by an angel and said get up and take the child and his mother and go back to Israel because those that are seeking his life are dead. They are no more. And it's also interesting that Joseph gets up and when he goes, he realizes that Herod's son, Archelaus, is reigning, who was not a great guy either. And he decides it's not a good place probably to go back to Jerusalem or go back to Bethlehem. So he takes him back to Nazareth because he's been warned in a dream that that's where he should go. Why Nazareth? Again, the text says that the prophet was fulfilled. No prophet actually quotes this explicitly, but it's an easy thing to understand because Nazareth, both in the Old Testament and in the time, was looked down upon as a despised little place. It was a backwater, small town place. And if you want to become a king, if you want to gain influence, if you want to make your mark, you get yourself a TikTok and you put yourself out there and you create all kinds of influence and you move to the centers of power and you move to the places that you've been seen and in the divine wisdom of God, he sends Jesus back to Nazareth where no one will look for him out of the way in a place that no one would think anything good would come from. Again, what's the point? Not surprisingly, instead, God's divine protection keeps Jesus for his good ends. Okay, so what? So what? Jesus goes to Egypt, some small children are murdered, and Jesus comes back. So what? How safe are God's people? They are under divine and effective and perfect protection. God's plan to be good to this world will not be thwarted, though all the power of hell is arrayed against it. And it is, and it was. So that God is shown to be true to his word and all of the scripture is fulfilled that God will protect his plans to be good through the work of Jesus. So that when you get to an older time, it says that even death is not the thing that took Jesus. No one takes the life of Jesus. In the garden, Jesus says when they come to arrest him, don't you know that he could have called a legion of angels to come and protect him, but he doesn't. And when it is time for Jesus to lay down his life, it is he who lays it down. And no one takes his life from him. No one. But it is the will of the Father and of the Son 
to lay down his life and to face death so that the tyranny of sin and darkness and murder and death itself would be won by the divine protection that God gives through his salvation plan. How safe is God's son? Perfectly protected by God until the time necessary when because of God's love for this world and because of his plan to restore his world, he and his son send him to the cross to then rise again from the dead. Do you get the point? How safe is Jesus? Divinely safe for a purpose. So what does that mean for us? How safe are God's people? What is your only hope in life and death? That you are not your own. But you belong body and soul in life and death to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And that He works all things for your salvation. And not a hair of your head, not one hair from your head, can fall apart from the will of your Father, who is intended to do good by His salvation work through His Son, Jesus. So what does that mean? It means you are divinely protected in and through faith in Jesus Christ unto a good end. That's what that means. But that means different things, right? If you read in Hebrews, it says by faith, some people, they escape the mouths of lions. And by faith, some of us were sawed in two. It's not the American dream of safety and affluence. Maybe. It may be that you will live long years and your last breath will be all of your family around you singing psalms and hymns until you go to see Jesus. That may be your end. Or your end may be that a car crosses the double line and with no one in the car, you are met by your Savior this afternoon. I don't know. It is interesting for me to read that on Christmas Day, over 200 Christians in Nigeria were sport hunted for fun. Children killed. How safe are the people of God? If you find your refuge under Jesus by faith, what will separate you from the love that is in Christ? Will life? Will death? Will your sin? Will your joys? Will your sorrows? Will old age? Will cancer? How safe are the people of God? Divinely protected by the life of Jesus Christ. Now look, I, I've got to return to it. If it's not the trueness of God that is the stumbling block to you, but the goodness of God that is the stumbling block to faith, can I at least ask you or propose to you that you consider a different conclusion about His goodness? That the reality of murder and butchery and unkindness and the way we say terrible things to each other at Christmas dinners when all the stockings are hung by the fireplace with care, and that the reality of abuse of its worst kind and death 
and disease is actually not the thing that speaks to the unkindness of God, but it speaks to the trueness of the way God is honest about the world and the way it is. And that the rest of the story is that he cared enough about that reality to enter into the sorrow and into the darkness and taste death on your behalf that if you would rest in him, and I beg you to rest in him, you would find life. And you would find life eternal. And though you are destined to face death once, you would live because of what Christ has done And what God has done through is a divine protection. How safe are God's people? The light has shone in the darkness. And the darkness will not overcome it. And God's people say, Amen. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for your divine protection. You are good. You are good to this world. Would we find our rest in you and our life in you? And would you protect us, O Lord, as you promise you will? In Jesus' name, amen.